Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast, where we talk to industry leaders on how to become better, stronger, faster. And just before we get started, number one, I am in freaking shock. Like today is the 17th of January. It's like last year just zipped by and this year is already like uh, well on its way. And uh, so sales makes the world go round. And uh, whether you're selling ideas or you're a four-year-old, this is when we were masters at sales, getting mom or dad to get us what we want. I mean, we were such great salespeople. What if we could do that professionally? It would be amazing. Today, I've got the privilege of having uh, two experts on the program with me. Uh, Will Fuentes, welcome to the show. Tell us like in 30, 60 seconds who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Will Fuentes. I'm the managing partner and founder of the Maestro Group. We're a sales acceleration firm. Our secret sauce is that everything we do is based in industrial organizational behavioral psychology. We have a research team that's out there always looking for the latest and greatest research on how people think and make decisions. And then we take that to our clients to inform not only how we train them and coach them, but also the strategies that they put forth in order to achieve their revenue goals. Hot dog. That was fast, precise, on money. <laughs> and we've got Dean Ray. Dean, welcome to the program. Give us your 30, 60 second intro. Hey, thank you, Mark. Good to meet you there. And uh, Will, great to meet you as well. So my name is Dean Ray, and I'm a coach for a company called Sales Gym. Um, so my background has been in training and sales since I've been an adult. And really that training background started when I was in the Marine Corps flying in attack helicopters. Uh, when you get in that role, you get in a lot of very high pressure, high consequence style situations where you have to perform and you can't afford to make many mistakes because they cost quite a bit. Uh, so with that in mind, we took a system where it came down to breaking down the fundamentals that go into a flight. We drill those fundamentals until you get exceptional at them. And then whenever we put them back together, we reacted by second nature when we were flying. And our system at Sales Gym, because we're a sales training program, that's our general approach. We figure out what goes into a great sales interaction from that initial meeting all the way to the close. We figure out what fundamentals go into that. And then we work on creating drills around those particular fundamentals so that your people have basically a muscle instinct whenever they're in those situations and they can react well under pressure. So that's kind of our background, what we do, where we come from. Um, looking forward to learning more about uh, both Will and Amar as we get into this podcast. Brilliant. One of the things you said, Dean, was, you know, that that muscle memory. And one of the things it kind of brings up is the state of flow. And for some people, once in a while, they get into the state of flow, whether they're playing tennis or doing sales or doing whatever. But I'm here to tell you that is a lie. Most people get into the state of flow and the state of flow is not a good one because you can do flow in two ways. That negative voice inside your head that tells you you're no good, you're bad. A lot of that stuff it becomes muscle memory and it just automatically comes in. And the way to combat that is uh, two ways. Number one is shifting mindset. And number two is training your body to react in a different way. And today, what I wanted to do was this. It's the beginning of the year and people are looking to kind of make their numbers and make a difference in the world. So I want to just take a look at the entire sales process. And I'm going to just make it in, in simple terms, divided into these sections. Number one, prospecting, and that includes cold calling. 
something you do to get the appointment. Number two is doing the presentation when you're there. Number three is handling objections. Number four is actually closing the sale. And number five is deepening into the account or getting referrals. And plus or minus, that's the sales process. There may be other ways of looking at it. Well, can we all agree that's pretty much a fair assessment, Will? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I lost you there for a second. Did you say, is that my assessment with prospecting, presentation, objection, handling, closing the sale, and, and then getting referrals? Getting referrals, dipping into account, plus or minus, fair yeah, assessment. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're spot on. I think you're absolutely you're spot on. That's that's really at its essence, right? People talk about, hey, there's five stages. That's you know you pretty much hit on them, nice. you know, in terms of how people should be thinking about it. Now, like the real difference is like how skilled and how much muscle memory you build up into each one of those. Um, and I'd love and be interested to hear you know how Dean thinks about specifically closing an objection because I think those two <laughs> particular areas are areas where they can be high pressure situations that if you don't have the right muscle muscle memory or have done the right amount of practice, you, you can really blow up a deal that was close to closing. Brilliant. We're going to go deep into that. This is uh, so I'm going to tell you a story first, then I'm going to dive in into the deep end. So I was doing this presentation for about 140 sales managers and I asked them, is that the sales process plus or minus? And they said, yep, that's the sales process. Then I asked them, where's the one area where most salespeople, your salespeople struggle and what's the impact on their revenue that they bring into the company? And two things tied. Number one was prospecting. If you don't have enough things in the pipeline, then of course you're going to starve to death. And number two was closing the sale and actually bringing home the money. And both of those areas impacted 50% of a salesperson's revenue ability. So what I wanted to do is this, is let's kind of take a look at prospecting. We're going to do a round robin, and I'm going to start off with uh, Dean. Dean, what's one way to kind of get appointments that you'd recommend? Then we're going to go Will and me, and we're going to keep on going till we run out. Then we're going to go to presentations till we run out, then handling objections, and then closing the sale, and then finally getting referrals and going deeper. So I'm going to let you kick it off, Dean. In terms of prospecting, getting somebody to have an appointment with you, what do you recommend they do? Uh, the first thing to keep in mind is nobody cares about what you have to say. They care about their own world, and that's that's critical. That. I think all of us, we, we believe that, but it's really hard for us to actually translate that to the way we approach prospects, right? So one of the first things I recommend people do is think through who are you trying to talk to and what do they care about? Now, once you understand who you're trying to talk to and what they care about, you need to design your approach to very quickly tease them, let them know you have some value, you have some expertise in their area, and then ask if they want to have that conversation with you to learn more. And the tease what? is really critical here. A lot of times people say, hey, you know, my name's Dean Ray. I'm with Sales Gym. Great to meet you. Here's my entire spiel. What do you think? You want to talk to me or not? And that leads cool. to uh, usually blunt interactions. <laughs> <clears throat> where if you're able to actually kind of pitch the idea, let them know what kind of value you have, uh, you've been helping people in their particular area of expertise, but leave it a little bit vague, that makes people want to be curious about you and learn a little bit more about what you have to say. And what you're really selling when you're prospecting isn't any kind of deal on that phone call. You're selling the next five minutes to make them think, you know what, talking to this person for five minutes longer, that's worth my time. So I always tell people what? whenever you're prospecting, think of what the tease is and how you can get them to want to talk to you for five more minutes. Love it. Uh, will to you. The great advice team. Landing an appointment. What do you recommend? Pick up the phone. Everyone tries <laughs> to avoid the phone. Let's pick up the phone. You know, that's, uh, you know, it's so many times that people are like, I'm struggling and I'll look and I'm like, well, you made three dials yesterday. <laughs> They're like, but I sent Love a thousand home. emails. <laughs> yeah. I was like, not the same thing. Pick up the phone, right? And I will tell you, there's 
Yes. You know, there, there's a lot of techniques you can use. You know, uh, one of the things I love to recommend to people is like, hey, like you're going to make a bunch of dials. Why don't you go get some phone ready leads, you know, send them to one of those services that gets you, you know, who's more likely to pick up, call those numbers first, you know, make sure you've practiced that pitch. You're ready to get it off in terms of capturing. Indeed, I agree with you. It's about the next five minutes, but in the initial three seconds, it's about the next three seconds and then the next three seconds. Right. And once yep. you're at 15 to 20 seconds, now you're in a groove and you can now sell that larger conversation. But you're not going to do that if you don't pick up the phone. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So one of the things you need to do is like what we do is not rocket science. If we're going after, let's say I happen to be in a real estate office today and it's like if it's a team leader, you know, they've got A players, B players, C players, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could get your B players to become A players? What kind of impact? So we know who we're selling to. We know what the hot buttons are. And so one of the ways to do is to all you got is that few seconds to grab their attention. Like Dean said, like Will said, pick up the freaking phone is one of the ways to get good at your script is uh, I learned this from uh, uh, somebody that actually acts on Broadway. And she said, okay, learn your material. And once you've learned your material, so let's say you've got your 30 second pitch that you're doing on the phone, then use a different accent. So you can do it in Scottish, right? You can do this script that you're doing. And the reason that works from a neuroscience point of view is number one, you learn your script and it's still like a little alien. But when you use a silly accent, not with a customer, but as you're rehearsing it, it gets another part of the brain to engage. It also allows you to take the pressure off of yourself and it just gets into your bones. So you can just do that. Do that 30 second opening with every person you could talk to that day. You don't have to change anything. Just do the same thing. And if you do that, it just becomes second nature and you can do your hundred dials and actually get conversations with maybe 12 people. And out of those 12 people, maybe you get uh, four people say, yeah, I want a longer conversation and you move forward. So get comfortable with the script. Don't recreate it every time. Just once you got it, keep going. Dean, do you have another piece of advice uh, for prospecting that you're ready to give or should we move on to the next topic? Uh, yeah, just to kind of piggyback off what you just mentioned there, right? It's about knowing your script and having it down verbatim. Um, but in my our perspective, it's not necessarily about getting like the exact words right in the script. It's getting the thrust of the message across in the script in your own voice in a way that feels genuine. And whenever it comes to prospecting, what I'd advise people do is do some A-B testing. Maybe have one script you have in mind that has maybe one type of feel, another script with a slightly different feel. And if you're making those 100 calls a day, uh, to Will's point, then maybe you can get a chance to knock out 50 in one script, 50 on the other, and see what lessons learned you can gain from that by repeating that process day in and day out for a couple months. You might notice some really distinct differences in messaging that really can make an impact where you wouldn't notice that if you weren't trying different versions of your script. Love it. A-B testing. Will, to you, my friend. Yeah. So two things here that come to mind really quickly. Number one is is I love to try pitches on family members that are outside the industry that I'm pitching and ask them like, hey, what am I talking to you about? And if they can grasp it and give me at least directionally what I'm talking, then I know like, okay, this pitch can resonate because the words I'm using are efficient. And that's the key is you need to be efficient with your words. And the second is I tell people all the time, like have a mirror in front of you or something that where you can see yourself so that you're smiling, you bring that energy. People can tell that energy that you have when you're prospecting. And if you're down in the doldrums and you're like, I'm really excited to be talking to you today, like that's not going to excite someone to want to have more time with you. So you got to bring the, the energy and the fire, right? This is fun and it should be fun. Yeah, so I think well, if, you don't, if you don't mind me jumping in real quick, Umar, uh, well, sure. what do you recommend people do if they are having trouble with that mindset piece? They feel like they're, they're yeah. not having a great day. How do you kind of snap yourself into that headspace so you can come off as your best self on these calls? I'm curious what your perspective is there. And same yeah, for Umar. I love it. So we, 
we, we treat this, uh, we, we treat, we teach this concept called the 40, 20 rule. And so 40 hours is to do your work. 20 hours is to, is to work on your craft. And part of working on your craft is identifying how your energy functions, right? And so some people are better on the phones in the morning. Some are better after lunch. So that's number one is identifying when you work best. The second thing is also identifying what are those, uh, what are those things that exist in your world that put you in a positive mindset? We've had individuals that when they're down in the doldrums, they love to listen to show tunes. It just brings them up happy memories for them. There's others that like to take a walk around the office. There's even others that'll go lift and just feel like they've accomplished something. And really it's about understanding, Hey, you're going to get beat up. I say two things. Number one is identifying how you switch your mind. And number two, it's not personal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. So and Omar, what's your take on that? You're the mindset, mindset expert here. What, what's your thoughts on this? So I want you guys to do this with me. And we're going to break the internet with this is uh, your physiology trumps your psychology. And one of the things I teach people is to just uh, say raw, like deep down, like a raw. And it just instantly changes your energy. So do what's right for you. But here's my tip on uh, when you're prospecting. So I was coaching someone to prospect and I'm listening to their side of the conversation with them. They're talking to a client. And what I ended up doing was using the phone to just record their side of the conversation on my iPhone with a recorder. And I said, great. And do me a favor, uh, call your best friend up and invite them to the movies uh, this weekend. So the guy calls his buddy, I'm recording that too, and invites him to the movies. And I say, okay, now listen to these two recordings. Recording A, your voice is tight and you're talking quickly and the stress in your voice. And listen to the, when you called your friend, what was that like? It's like softer voice. It's a really kind of familiar kind of tone. And then uh, he really got it because you can hear the two. It's like, oh my God, I wouldn't want to talk to me either. So it's basically getting in the right <laughs> mood and just assuming if I called Will up and I went, Hey, Will, how are you doing? This is Umar. Will's like, who the hell is this? Do I know this guy? Did we meet? It's like, if you can do that, you just start creating conversations. So now we're going to go to number two, doing the presentation. And we're going to actually turn the circle around. And this time it's Will. What do you recommend uh, that someone can do to do a great presentation that uh, leads to people going, hmm, I may want to get this. What do you recommend? Yeah. So first and foremost, I think uh, doing a great presentation is establishing yourself as a sales professional. And the way that I teach teams to do that is to use the uh, time check, tech check, and framed introduction. So time check, hey, we're scheduled for the next 30 minutes. Does that still work for you? Make sure that you have their full attention. And as a sales professional, if they say yes, then you deserve their full attention. Second thing is, you know, if you're doing a remote presentation, on your screen right now, you should be seeing the Maestro Group logo. Is that what you're seeing? Yes. Why? Because they don't know what's on your screen. So stop saying, can you see my screen? And yeah. then the third thing is making those framed introductions. So, you know, Dean, really excited to have you meet me. I'd love to understand your role at Sales Gym and like, what are you most interested in learning about the Maestro Group today? Really direct Dean in a way that's going to give me an idea of what he's looking for. From a presentation standpoint, that's the establishing point that you are a sales professional and things start to you know, really gain momentum when you do that. So, Will, all that you said was like uh, so basic that nobody does it. And yep. it's like 101 building trust. I love what you said uh, because it basically gets everybody on the same page and super excellent. Dean, uh, what's your piece of advice to do a good presentation? Uh, well, playing off the last thing that Will said there, the priority, the number one thing I think we teach here at the sales gym is seek to understand before you seek to be understood. 
And a really big part of being able to get people to understand that you are an industry expert, that you do understand things that can help them, is by immediately start asking questions and starting a conversation. Nobody likes being whenever you show up, somebody shows you a PowerPoint presentation for 30 minutes and at the end says, hey, any questions? No matter how good your presentation is, that cuts off the human to human dynamic and it makes people feel like they're being talked at rather than being talked with. So focusing really quickly on, yeah, here's my little piece of the pie, but let me get you talking, get from your perspective, why is this important and what are you trying to accomplish? That right there creates instant rapport in the conversation. And then you can use the things you learn to start micro-targeting your actual pitch, your actual selling points towards what's important to them. So taking this mentality that a conversation or a presentation or a meeting happens in two halves, that first half is where you ask, listen, understand. And then that second half is where you actually start to use what you learn to sell. That's the biggest thing I think that people need to understand when it comes to having more successful meeting flows and getting more out of those conversations. Absolutely. Because then you can focus on the, the one feature that's going to be really important to Will as opposed to here's the 23 that Will doesn't care about. So exactly. I saw this presentation a long time ago, and I forget the guy who was doing this presentation. But the guy was talking about Motorola coming into the, uh, the cell phone space to help first responders get cell phones that were secure, that allowed them to communicate with HQ and get uh, information from, I guess, internal databases about what chemicals are stored in this factory versus that. And they had this brilliant, amazing PowerPoint presentation that probably cost a fortune and looked beautiful, and it generated zero sales. And so this guy came in to understand what they were doing, and he basically did the presentation on a sheet of paper, just doing a simple hand drawing with stick figures. And it just blew my mind away because I saw it once, maybe eight years ago, and I can recreate that presentation. I don't work for Motorola, and I'm not a first responder, but I think sometimes just a blank sheet of paper and really listening to the person and then solving their problem with just some simple diagrams on a piece of paper. And if you guys are interested, I'll share the presentation with you off uh, this presentation. Maybe I'll put a video in, uh, a link here so everyone can see what that presentation was like. Sometimes listening to the person, pen and paper, you can do a more compelling presentation than you can with a, a slide deck, no matter how beautiful it is. Will, do you have a second piece of advice on how to do a great presentation? Yeah. Stop saying, does that make sense? <laughs> So, you know, when you're doing a presentation, there's so many different ways to understand what someone understands. Like of what I just shared, what's going to have the biggest impact in your organization? Of what I just shared, who's going to be most excited about that information? Of what I just shared, what or what haven't you what haven't I said that you thought you were going to hear? in the first like 10 minutes of, of, of my presentation, whatever it is that you're, that you're getting to. But when you say blah, 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 does that make sense? You might as well just say blah, blah, blah. Are you an idiot? Are you paying attention? Like, that's just not, you know, that's not like, it's not an appropriate question in the sales conversation. And you know, the only thing you're going to get is a yes. Like how many people raise their hands is like, no, I'm an idiot. doesn't make sense. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, good advice. Simple. Will's kind of got this foundational stuff, which I like. Cause, uh, you know, that's the stuff we miss all the time. It's like uh, anytime there's a, a team, no matter what the sport is, whether it's like uh, hockey, football, whichever country, when the team's doing badly to get a new coach, and the first thing the new coach says on his interview is, yeah, we're going to go back to the basics because that's where greatness lies. Dean, what do you have for advice number two to do a great presentation? 
Uh, I'm just going to keep piggybacking off Will's great point. So one of the things that's really critical is you're asking open-ended questions that further the conversation and don't lead to these awkward, like, yes, no pauses. Like, that, does that make sense? Um, is that something you guys can see yourself using? That creates awkwardness and sometimes friction in the conversation. So asking open-ended questions is critical. And one of the most useful elements whenever you're presenting things to people is bringing in critical industry insights that maybe they don't know as say you're trying to sell to a business owner. As a business owner, you may not know what somebody in the sales world knows or the marketing world knows or whatever other world. So being able to bring a critical insight in, educate them on the subject and make them feel like, you know, I just learned something. And then asking them, hey, now that you understand that, what's your take? What's your perspective on this? That's really helpful for building a foundational conversation. And once you've done that, you can find those areas of agreement. But to Will's point, if you're giving them an insight and you say, does that make sense? All you're going to get is a binary yes, no, and that stops the conversation in its tracks. And you really can't build something off of that. It's, it's much less effective. Brilliant. So I'm going to add in uh, on my final one is at the end of the day, it's all about rapport. And that opening segment of the conversation where you build rapport, which is the most important for building trust, one of the things if you're just in that stage. So if I ask Dean, uh, Dean, uh, uh, who is your favorite teacher in high school or college? Uh, real question, yeah. Real question. Real question. Uh, I would have to say there was an English teacher I had back in the day called Mr. Townsend. Um, he saw a lot of potential in me. He pushed me. He wanted to make sure that I wasn't just being lazy with things because he saw I could be more. Um, and he ended up getting me to uh, start a chess club in our school, which really wasn't something I had planned on doing. But just kind of him driving me and expecting more from me, that really brought out the best in me, I would say. So he's definitely somebody that stood out a lot. Brilliant. So if you take a look at Dean's uh, physiology there, as soon as I took him back there, uh, he kind of lit up and there was like this really great memory and you're kind of reconnected. And so the next question is, you know, how did he teach you to get the best out of you? Like, uh, was it through demonstration or inspiring? Like, what, what did he do? Uh, he challenged me a lot. I think that that was the biggest thing is he would demonstrate and he'd show that he can do it. And I was an arrogant kid and I thought I was the best at everything. So having this teacher kind of show me what good looks like and then saying, hey, let's see what you got. See if you can hang. That right there was really useful for me. Um, but to to be fair to that, like that style doesn't work with everybody. So because I was more of an aggressive, competitive style person, that was the right approach for me. Where with somebody else, I don't necessarily know that he would have got the same results. Um, and I did notice some of, the, some of those interactions in class with people who really didn't have the motivation to become more. So the reason I asked you that question, that would have been like, if we're getting to know each other and you start revealing that, number one, we're getting a lot of trust built up. But number two, number one, I took you from a, I'm not sure where this presentation is going to go down to a pleasant memory. And then Two, I asked you that question, how did he get the best out of you? And it was like, show you stuff and then challenge you. And that's how I know I need to conduct my presentation to you specifically, Dean. For Will, that probably wouldn't work. But just by asking that question, I get insights on how I need to flavor the presentation. And so I think rapport is really important, but you can also get valuable information that lets you rule when it comes to doing the presentation. So I'm going to turn the clock around again, this time, Dean, handling objections. What's your piece of advice on how to handle objections? Uh, my best advice for handling objections is to bring them up yourself. The biggest mistake that I see in sales whenever it comes to closing, besides people just not giving defined next steps, is waiting till the very end, sticking their head in the stand and hoping that the objection they know that most people have won't come up. 
And then whenever it does come up, they have three to five minutes to be able to try to work past that objection and then get some kind of next steps in the process. And generally speaking, that's far too late. So what I advise most people do is think through what are maybe the common three or four objections that come up in your particular world. Bring those things out early with some kind of insight that frames that conversation in a way that you can control and then ask what their thoughts and their opinions are on it. That way you can get through all the typical objections that tend to come up in your particular world. You can walk them through why maybe that's not exactly an issue. And since you brought it up proactively and you framed it, you have control of the conversation. Then when you're at the end of the conversation, you're trying to make the ask for the next step. You don't have those objections to deal with and try to swat away last minute. You're ready to actually talk about, all right, here's what we need to do to advance this conversation and help your company out. So deal with them early and bring them up proactively. That's my advice. Okay. I love that. Great advice. Will. So Dean, uh, by the way, I love it. That's the George Costanza method. If you're a fan of Seinfeld, (laughs) it's when he decided to go, hey, I'm unemployed. (laughs) I'm overweight. (laughs) All of a sudden his dating life took off, right? So it's like, those are going to be all the objections. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, So uh, for me, there's a couple of things. Number one is, is don't answer too quickly. Take a second to think about what you were just asked. Number two is, is like, make sure that like you control yourself, you control your breathing, you slow down your rate of speech, you know, make sure that the person on the other side is seeing how thoughtful you're being about what you're talking about. Um, and then the third one would be uh, seek to understand. And so if someone uses an adjective or uses a phrase to describe something in their objection, ask them what those things mean. Um, we start often answering questions without understanding the context of the words that are being used. And thus, we don't overcome the objection. We actually end up probably confusing the prospects even more. Right. Um, and so that that becomes, to me, one of the most critical things to do is like, well, what does that person mean when they use that word? Yeah. Great advice. What I'd add in, it was kind of basically what Will said, but slightly different way. It's like, you know, uh, let's say the objection you get is, you know, uh, our processes aren't set up to to do that right now, whatever the thing is. And uh, what makes you bring that up? Have you done that? Ask a couple of questions deeper before you answer the objection to make sure you're addressing the right objection. And more often than not, you give the person an insight into what the situation is themselves because most people don't think deeply about what's going on. And if you ask the right questions and you help get them an insight, then they're like, oh my God, Will's a genius. So that's what I'd recommend is ask a couple of questions before you address it to make sure you're addressing the right objection. Back to you, Dean. Uh, one more piece of advice on handling objections. Uh, one of the things I'd say is, is let's kind of lean into what you all were bringing up, how you want to get into that deeper level of questioning. Um, a good example of that is being able to bring up like these multiple choice style questions where you can say something along the lines of, you know, I've actually heard that before. That's a typical thing I hear. And generally it's because people are falling in one of three camps. There's camp A, there's camp B, and there's camp C. Let me kind of define them. Now, from your perspective, where are you coming from? Do you fall in one of these three camps or is it something a little different? So that way you can continue retaining control of where that conversation goes and how you frame it out. You're actually listening to their objectives and then you're giving your, your objections and you're giving them some idea on why people just like them have those same objections so they can pick a path and you can start talking them through you know, how they work through it and how they dealt with those particular circumstances. So I would say give some kind of multiple choice style approach of direction, allow them to retain some control and pick the direction they want to go, and then know how you handle that particular objection in that particular vein. And because you framed it out, you'll have a lot more control over that conversation. Love it. Will. 
Uh, so it's interesting. Nice little spin on the feel felt found approach there, Dean, that people use, right? Uh, I understand why you feel that way. Others like have felt that way. Here's what they have found. It's usually one of these three things for your organization. Which one is it, right? Um, the other thing that I love to do is, is teach teams like once you're done answering an objection, like close the loop by figuring out whether you actually answered the objection with something as simple as like, what part of your question did I leave unanswered? Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the feel felt found because, you know, that's a tried and true kind of way is collect stories from all the other salespeople in your organization on how they've solved those. We had a client with this problem and stories are what compel us to take action, explain what's going on. So those things are gold in your company, record those, memorialize those, bring them up in trainings. And uh, that becomes one of the resources that uh, oftentimes people just take for granted. Don't do that. It's just as important as the IP you have for your technology. All right, Will, going back to you, how do you go for the close? Uh, so number one for me is you should practice your close. And I think a lot of people just go in and they don't actually even have that ob objective going into the conversation. I'm going to close or I'm going to figure whether it's a yes or a no today. And so for me, it's like writing those three things down and then practicing that close. I, I think about often. So I have a, a young a young son who's uh, learning to play quarterback and a lot of his drills are around the red zone and the two minute trail, <laughs> two of the most high pressure situations. And it's not like they don't practice those all of the time. Those get special attention. So closing should get special attention. You should practice. You should role play. You should think about when I say this, what are they going to say? How am I going to react to continue moving the conversation forward? So for me, the number one tip is practice your close. Love it. To you, Dean. So this is going to be a little bit longer of an answer because it's going to build in a process as well as kind of the advice at the, at the tail end of the close. So we always tell our, the people we work with, you need to summarize before you before you sell. And so what that means is defining the, uh, you know, there's two halves of the meeting, like I was going back to originally, you're going to ask, listen, understand and get the perspective in the first half. And then once you understand your perspective, you're going to summarize it and check in to make sure you didn't miss anything. They don't need to add anything. When you're at that point, you fully understand the situation and it's time for you to start racking your brain of stories that you know of people in that type of situation, what they did, why they did it, what kind of outcomes they received. And then whenever you get to the tail end of your story and you've got them on that emotional journey, they see themselves kind of using your products, developing their business, and they see that brighter future. Now you're going to ask for the next steps. And whenever you ask for next steps, it shouldn't just be something along the lines of, so does that sound like it would work? How does that sound for you? Something like that, that's not going to do it. What you want to do is you want to ask them to describe the next step in the process to you. So if the follow-on step is a meeting with their team to discuss a specific plan, then it's, hey, so with that in mind, kind of curious who in your team would be a good fit for this follow-on meeting. And whenever it comes to the plan, what kind of things do you think we should be highlighting? And then once they describe to you what that meeting looks like, you just nail them down on that meeting itself and you actually put it into motion. So I never ask for permission whenever we get to the end of a selling conversation. I never ask, yes, no, do you want to buy my widget? I ask, all right, so the next step of the process is this. My question for you is, how would you describe that next step to me? As they describe it to me, then I just hold them to what they just described. And that's what we do the next time we meet up. Love it. So for me, summarization is an important part of it. And one of the things I do is as they're telling me about the issues, sometimes this product gets delivered late to us. So like, okay. How does that impact you emotionally and really get the emotional impact of that particular issue? And what's the financial impact on your bottom line from that? And at the end of that section, I've got 
four issues. We've got dollar amounts attached to it. We've got emotional impacts attached to it. And so when I go to summarize at the end, so just to make sure I understood uh, what we talked about, Will, what you said was issue A is causing you to stay up at night and it's costing your company $2.8 million. Issue B has da-da-da, issue C. So it sounds like you've got a $20 million problem. And that's their numbers. They go, yep, we can solve that for you. And this is how we're going to do it. What would you like to do? And that way, it just kind of amps up the emotions and it summarizes them in one big, ugly, hairy ball, a big financial number. And then it's like, this is the solution. What would you like to do is the way I like to go more for a close. Will, back to you. Yeah. So I think part of this is uh, shifting like the way that you think about things a little bit, right? So mind shift change um, is that... You know, I love what you said, Dean, like, you know, you don't ask for permission. Like, I literally feel like if you've done your job, you earn the right to ask for that business and you should feel confident asking for that business. So when I'm summarizing, that's like exactly what you said to me. I was like, hey, based on what you told me, this is how I see the next steps based on these factors, right? Like all of that earns you the right and you should close confidently. I think most people actually have deals in their hands and they hem and haw around it and it creates all this doubt in their prospects' minds. Like, well, if the sales guy doesn't believe that this is the right thing to do, what am I not seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Dean. Well, let me touch on that confidence piece. Yeah, to, to Will's point, if you don't have confidence and in your voice that what you're saying is true and you have conviction in it, people can read that and it's immediately off-putting and they're much less likely to follow through. So first things first, have confidence that what you're selling will actually transform someone's business and will impact their life in a positive way and then speak with those convictions when you're talking. But to go back to what you were talking about, Umar, with like the storytelling piece, have a few different stories for the type of person you're meeting up with. So that way, when you do get to the end, you do summarize their needs and their concerns. You have the tailor fit story to tell them of somebody just like them who shared their problems, who decided to go abroad a transformational experience by working with you. And then after they went through that experience, here's what their company looked like. And here's how those problems were solved. If you have a few good stories like that in your back pocket for the common client types you run into, you're going to find it's much easier to do the closing and to make it feel like at the very end, you know what? This is a tailor fit solution for me. Let's go ahead and walk forward. That's how it's going to feel for you. Love that. I'm not sure what the current stats are, but it is like freaking unbelievable. The number of salespeople that go through the entire freaking process and don't ask for the sale. They'll hum and haw around it, but they won't actually go give me the money. And so I think one of the things we need to do as salespeople is get our financial house in order and get our money issues that we learn from our parents. Money is evil. Salespeople are evil. All that bullshit needs to get out of your head and you need to ex go to a priest, get holy water, whatever you need to do, <laughs> get rid of that and promise yourself, I am going to ask for the sale three times minimum. It should be actually five times in that thing. And what's kind of interesting is if you're like a, a nut about it and you don't have rapport, because that's the most important thing is right at the beginning. You build that rapport and people give you permission to interact with them. Then you can ask for the sale. And when you ask for the sale, you're going to get an objection. And the objection may be a real one or a phantom one, but you address it and then you go for the ask again. And then you get down to if there is a real objection and if you can overcome that, you walk away with the order, but do not give up too soon and always ask for the sale and actually have a checkbox. I got five checkboxes. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask five freaking times to make this happen. Because like Will said a couple of times, as you get to the finish line, the sale is yours, then you either don't ask or you screw it up by doing something dumb and you lose the sale. And then Dean comes in and lands the sale and then we get angry at Dean. Say, Damn it. <laughs> so here's the last one. How do you get referrals or deepen into the account? 
what would be a piece of advice that you have, Dean, on how to get referrals or deepen into the account? So for me, it's it's the same advice I'd give to somebody who doesn't like that feeling of being that that salesperson who feels kind of slimy or whatever. It's to start to realize what your value is in the industry and how you actually help these companies and start viewing yourself less as a salesperson, as more as just a trusted consultant and industry expert who understands what this world looks like and sees opportunities to help people. Now, if you have that mindset, then when you're working with somebody and you see a chance to upsell them, you're not upselling them because you see an opportunity to make more money. You're actually making the recommendation because you know this is the right route for their business. And if you start approaching it like that and you're only trying to target people that you know are a good fit for maybe the upsell or whatever it is you're trying to sell whenever you're developing the account, then whenever you actually make that, you're going to have a lot of conviction there and you're going to believe what you're saying. And if the person on the other end doesn't feel like they're just a number for you, they're just an additional sale, they actually feel like you're somebody who cares about their success and you're making the recommendation because you've analyzed their business and you think this is the right route, then you're going to find it's much easier to develop your accounts and build bigger accounts that way. Love it. Will. Well, it sounds like on this podcast, I'm the foundational guy, right? So uh, number one is ask for the referral. Um, So you know, depending on what study you pick up, only 8 to 13% of salespeople you know, are willing to ask for a referral when they close business, while 80% of satisfied buyers are willing to give one, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like a massive delta and a massive opportunity. So, you know, my sales motion is, 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 you know, really early in the process when we're delivering value, I ask for the referral. I'm like, we're having an impact on your business. Um, you know, who else in your network would benefit from having conversations with me and my team? And I'm not shy about it. That is what it is, right? And so, you know, if you've done a good, a, a good job, working someone through the process. And I always get this question, well, you know, our implementation takes this amount of time or this, and I'm saying, but you delivered value already to this individual. So ask for the referral based on that. Who else in your network would benefit with a conversation with me? It doesn't have to be about my product, right? It's like that conversation to your point, D, you're an industry expert. You've delivered value. Don't shy away from asking for that. Absolutely. I think one of the things to do before you go into a sales meeting is to rehearse that sales meeting in your mind. Oh, yeah. That I'm going to go in. I'm going to develop rapport. We're going to be, that person's going to be smiling. We're going, to, we're going to find some commonality. And you know, we all want to be part of a tribe. And sometimes I've been in a situation where it's like, uh, oh, you used to work for Hewlett Packard. I did too. And all of a sudden, it just changes the entire demeanor of the conversation. So rehearse what you're going to do. Asking for the sale five times. Asking for the referral. And if you can just visualize doing that the chance of you actually doing it goes up significantly. So practice what you're going to do before you go in and you end up doing it. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the people that are great at what they do is they are practicing their craft all the time. And that's what we need to do is we're not like uh, fly-by-night folks. If you take this career seriously, become a freaking master at it. And I was listening to this guy on the radio. It was like a, one of the jazz greats, like in his 80s, 90s. And the guy interviewing him was like, I guess you don't need to rehearse anymore. And the old guy goes, son, that's my favorite four hours of the day. I've done it <laughs> for the last 60 years. And that's what we need to do as salespeople is hone our craft. Dean, back to you for uh, tip number two on how to get referrals or deepen into the account. Well, if you don't uh, mind, Amar, I'm going to go ahead and dive down the road you were just going down because I think that right there is probably more critical than anything I'll say here. I think Will probably said what I was going to say about the referral piece. So let me dive into this practice piece. Um, So what a lot of people do whenever it comes to sales is they do just show up and they just start talking and hope that their natural abilities and knowledge take them where they want to go. They need to view themselves more as performing artists. 
You're going up there, you have different kind of routines or scripts or approaches you take for different types of meetings. You rehearse those approaches so you feel very comfortable in those spaces. And when you go out, some version of that meeting flow is going to end up emerging and you're going to feel comfortable in your zone. You'll feel like you can guide them towards a good conclusion. Now, if you're not practicing that, you're doing yourself a disservice. I'm not trying to smack you on this hand and say practice because or else you're a bad kid. It's not like that. It's do it because how would you feel if you were supposed to be in a play and you just showed up and you showed up on the stage the night of the play? Or if you weren't going to be in a basketball game and you just read the, the basics of basketball, then you showed up for the very first game of the season. You're not going to feel comfortable. You're going to feel weird in your own skin and you're not going to be able to produce. So being able to practice what your flows are for different client types and what ideally these meetings look like, that's going to be super helpful for helping you visualize what the conversation will sound like. And then it'll give you a much greater ability to consistently get people towards these closing points. So I would say highly emphasize practice, know what you're practicing and why, and do it consistently week in and week out. Even if it's only 30 minutes a week, that's going to be super critical. There was this book I read uh, about the U.S. military, and the U.S. military was kind of uh, really bad at killing people. And over the wars, we've gotten really, really good at it. And that comes from practice. And it's, uh, you know, if you're a soldier defending this country, that's what you need to do. And the reason they train soldiers how to shoot accurately so much is when the pressure is on and people are shooting at you, you can get the job done. The same thing is true for us. We're experts at what we do, and the only way you can become an expert or get better is practice, practice, practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? The old joke was practice. You Didn't you have that one last comment on that? Yeah, let me jump right back into that. So speaking from somebody with that military background, this is why I'm such a believer in it. I see this work out in the sales world, but let me tell you a story about how I know this is impactful just in everyday mm. life. So whenever I was in the military, I was a crew chief. I flew in attack helicopters, and one of the guns we shot was a minigun. And the minigun, it's really complex. There's a lot of different moving parts. And the first time I went out and shot the minigun at night, I had a severe gun jam. And it took me 15 minutes of trying to work through the gun before I gave up. I gave my gun to the instructor. He fixed the jam, shot out my rounds, and made fun of me. Now, that was okay because we were in a training environment. But we were going to Afghanistan in just a few months. And I couldn't afford to be like that and react like that when it actually mattered. So what we did was every single day, whenever we got done with our work for the day, we would take dummy rounds and we'd practice clearing out different types of gun jams. Once we got it down perfectly with our eyes open, we started doing it blindfolded till we could do it with our eyes closed. And then what happened whenever I was in Afghanistan and I got my first gun jam when it actually mattered, people were getting shot at, is I went from going 15 minutes trying to clear it and giving up in that practice to actually getting it down to under 30 seconds, getting the gun back up and helping out people on the ground. And because I had that muscle memory and I didn't have to think about it, even though there was a lot of pressure in the situation, I reacted and I did things well on the fly. And if you practice anything you're doing in a business environment or in a social environment, you're going to find you'll get the same results. The, the context may change, but the actual results and the systems, they stay the same. Sorry for Love stepping it. on you, Mar. I'll let you head it back. No, no, that's it. good. That adds to the point. Uh, Will, what do you recommend to uh, get referrals yeah. to go deeper? So I think there's a common theme here, right? That this is a craft and it's a profession and professionals do a lot of hard work. So don't be lazy. So one of the things I often will do for uh, suggest to people to do is write the referral and say, hey, you know, I noticed you're connected to this person. Would you mind sending this message along? I've written the introductory note and why this will be relevant to them. Feel free to edit it as you see fit. And more often than not, you know, because people are lazy, they'll if they want to make the referral, they're like, oh, this is even easier. And they just send, you know, copy and paste and send it along. And it's, you know, so so part of all of this is control that message, right? Like send it along. And if you feel confident enough to ask for the referral, 
then you should be confident enough to be able to write a competent referral in a way that your your prospect, your now client will be comfortable sending along. Love it. Because uh, uh, you also get the resistance out of the way because sometimes it's like, I got to write this thing, damn it. And nobody wants an extra thing to do. So That's I'll right. add the last piece of advice on this is, I'm not sure if you guys have used a software like BombBomb, which is like a video messaging uh, over email. And oftentimes I'll encapsulate what I do in a nice one minute video. So ask for the referral and say, hey, say, you know, hey, we work with Umar, it's great work. And by the way, here's a video from him. And I get to actually articulate what we do. They give me the the validation and the trust from their referral, but I get to articulate what I do and why it would be important to kind of chat with me. So guys, before we part company today, uh, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be listening to this particular episode because we freaking delivered. It was like really good advice, like six pieces of advice on each one of those sections. So bravo to all of you. Will, I'm going to let you kind of finish off. You've got some... uh, really great training available for people on your website that they can get to be better, stronger, faster. Once again, uh, tell us how people can connect with you and what you have for them that's going to add value to this sales career. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to our website, maestrogroup.co. It is a .co, not a .com. Uh, There's two things in there that'll be of massive interest to your audience. Number one is uh, the blog, the Maestro Mastery blog. Um, it is written by professional writers, one who happens to be a world-renowned poet and really brings the beauty of sales into, you know, kind of the the, the sales blogging sphere, which is amazing. Uh, you'll see some incredible quotes from Pablo Neruda, Langston Hughes, all this stuff, stuff that you would expect to see out of a sales blog. Uh, but it also gives a lot of practical information. The second is, is if you go ahead and send us a message to our website and say that you listen to this podcast, I'll be happy to grant you free access to our asynchronous learning. Um, it is designed by instructional designers for adult learners. It's micro lessons encapsulating the best things that you could be doing out there to become a better sales professional and close more deals. Love it. Thank you. Dean, last words. Uh, so from an individual perspective, I'll steal from Alex Ramosi here. I've got nothing to sell you. If you're an individual and you're looking to gain some perspective and gain some knowledge on what we're doing, you can jump on our YouTube channel. Just look up Sales Gym and you'll be able to find us there. Or you can purchase our most recent book, which is How to Influence. And you're going to gain a ton of value for yourself personally in developing your sales skills. But if you're the leader of a team, you're somebody who actually runs sales teams and you'd like to get a little bit more experience in what it looks like to do drills-based training and what our approach is, then go ahead and visit us at salesgym.com and you can request a chance to speak with myself or one of the other coaches. We can see if you're a fit for our style of training and our organization. And then you can get a free example of what our coaching sessions look like. We do an hour type of coaching session with you and a few of your salespeople. And you can get an idea of if this type of training is the right fit for you and your team. Brilliant. Thanks, guys, for uh, being on the show today, everyone. Please visit the No Limit Selling uh, website, nolimitselling.com, and subscribe to the podcast and share this. This stuff, you'd be paying each one of these guys $5,000 a pop, and we got it for free. Damn it. I need to send them a check. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Will, thank you. Dean, thank you. I learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. See you later. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 